Hello, this is Alexander Siddig, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod, and don't tune out. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to another mind-bending edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that urges you to go north. That's just a little text adventure joke for you there. I'm your host Craig, and I'm here to bring you further coverage of Season 2 of Legion. Short-handed on this one, uh, back for more Legion madness. It's just Chris this week, Aaron is away, uh, stuck in a maze somewhere. Hello. Hello. Ready for more Legion chat? Three times the Legion? Three times the Legion, yes, why not? <laughs> yeah, we're... Um, for the listeners, we are doing this in the format of... We'll cover every three episodes... So we've done one, now we're going to do two, three and four, then we'll do five, six and seven, and then we'll round it off with eight, nine and ten. So it's because we don't have time to do this every week. Uh, Don't have time to watch it every week, never mind, do it every week. So yeah, we'll see how this goes. Format is subject to change, but we're trying it out. Uh, I think we should just launch straight into spoilers because there's no point in giving a spoiler free thoughts on three different episodes before... Launching into spoilers and going back to the first one. Is that agreeable okay. with yourself? That is agreeable with me. Okay, we'll start with, funnily enough, this the first episode after this, the first episode. So the second episode of the season, chapter <laughs> ten. I know that was confusing, but it's Legion. Yeah, we should start with the third episode, work our way back to the second, (laughs) and then jump to the fourth. If we're going to do it in Legion style, then, uh, you know. (laughs) Then it'll be like, oh yeah, I'll I'll edit in, chat about the fifth episode. (laughs) Yeah, and then we'll play it in reverse, uh, you know, over some uh, chattering teeth. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Uh, So chapter 10, uh, it's mainly about warnings, warnings of the future, I think. You know, that, that's the kind of general vibe I got from the episode when I watched it. Yeah, it's, uh, do you know, I'm finding it really interesting, the sort of twist of, oh, no, no, you've got to, you've got to help him now. You've got to help the Shadow King. That's what you've got to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come to terms with that bit at the moment. Because uh, it's like, there's no, there's no proper justification apart from girlfriend from the future says help. Uh, which is, you know, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and the future Sid is definitely motivated by loss, uh, as in she's clearly lost David in some way. Tells him he, because she tells him that he's sweet like he used to be, mm. something like that. So it suggests that maybe he's not dead, but he's become something else. And maybe you know, maybe we're getting a kind of hint of a villain story here, which is backed up by you see a sort of second David in this episode, this the less scruffy, deceitful version. Mm. You know, as a contrast to the scruffy, clueless version that you know is is the more endearing one. Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, it definitely sort of future side is motivated by, you know, the world not being the way she wants it to be, and obviously David is the only conduit she's got to try and change that. You know, she's saying in my timeline as well, so it's like she knows that his timeline is already different. Yeah. You know, it's like it's already been impacted by the fact that she's got in touch. But then again, it may not be real because 
one thing this season mm. is suggesting. Season one suggested that David couldn't trust his thoughts. Season two suggests that you can't trust anything. So it's possible that this is all kind of some conjuring of uh, maybe David's mind or maybe other someone else's mind or maybe like a collection of minds. could be anything. Um, and they're certainly promoting the idea that memory is as real as you want it to be. I think um, it's Lenny that says that or the Shadow King says that. Um, so if you remember something, then it did happen on some level. It happened, even if it didn't physically happen. It's you know there are memories of it, so there is merit to its existence. And I guess there's a, a sense that choosing reality is something that's common in this show. You know, you've got characters that are just living in some would say denial, but almost they've just retreated into their own sense of self. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I, I thought that was quite an interesting angle to go. To be honest, I did like that. Yeah, and uh, I really liked the kind of fortune teller booth visual. I don't. It was nothing to do with reality. <laughs> kind of the opposite, but it was very weird that little that little booth and the 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 orb, and then we do see it later on getting sort of erased off a. I was going to say a whiteboard, like a transparent whiteboard. It's yeah. all like a, you know, did that place ever exist in the first place when people went there? It's just very uh, mind bendery, really. Or when he was talking to Farouk, was he sort of imagining that place? I'm not yeah, too I don't, sure. I, well, I don't think that place was real because Farouk currently doesn't have his body. Mm. So and um, the implication is that the guy but, he was speaking to was the real Farouk. Yeah, and there's yeah. and but it's a replica of the place that they went to at the opening of the episode yeah. as well. I I don't know. Yeah, so that's I'm confused about where they were at the first bit of the episode, unless this was just a representation because we know yeah. that Farouk's not got his body back yet. No. So yeah, but a bit odd. Uh, but getting to see the real Farouk. It's a bit like, if it is the real Farouk. If it is. Yeah. But we think it might be, maybe, don't know. <laughs> Who knows? We also have the suggestion that Lenny was actually a real person, or at least a, a, another constructed identity, uh, who's looking to escape as well. You know, there's that kind of tragic, I'm stuck thing to her and. I think Aubrey Plaza's great at playing so many different things in this show, and mm. I really like that version, you know, the sympathetic one. It could just be a trick to lure David into helping, or it could be something genuine, as in, I'm really trapped here, help, we used to be friends, that kind of thing. I never thought they would turn it round for Lenny to be a villain, uh, not a villain, uh, a victim yeah. of the whole thing. You know, that I I was not expecting, you know, she's been snatched up. She was made promises, you know, do my bidding, do this to David and, you know, I'll let you go kind of thing. And she's still there and can't get out. You know, you see her trying to take her own life with the, the gun and it's only bubbles that come out <laughs> the other <laughs> end. You know, I pulled my hair out and he put it back. You yeah. know, it's I, I, I never thought I would turn around and go, oh, she's a victim. It's like it's a real person whose consciousness has ended up getting trapped in this weird world. 
you know, I, and then she's trying to make deals in order to get out. You know, you can just create me a new body, can't you? I can just have a new body, be out there, and yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting stuff, and I mean, we applauded Aubrey Plaza in the first season for being, mm. um, you know, for being really good at kind of playing all these different things, and and here's another version of this character that we're now seeing, and it's just, yeah, there seems to be no end to her range, really. Yeah, I mean, she plays so many different angles of it that you're never sure what's real, what's false. And like you say, this could be, you know, deceit again, you know, make it look like I'm I'm wanting to break out when really it's him that's wanting David to think that or, you know, you just don't know really. But yeah, very, very well played and not something that I saw coming along, to be honest. Yeah. And there was another great performance from her, you know, when there was the attack on Division 3. It wasn't quite a dance mm. number, but it almost was. Almost, almost. Yeah, a supreme almost. lack of dance number. Yeah. Weird. But where are they all going? But they, uh, yeah, the dissolving people are turning them into cows and... Cows and pigs and fish. Yeah, it's just... What's going on? <laughs> like, where did they get this power from? Or, again, is this another construct that they're just playing around in? I don't know. Well, you've seen what David was able to do with Farouk in the first season. You know, how powerful he was when he was going yeah. through uh, Division 3 in the first place. So, you know, you can only assume that's a sort of an or another uh, manifestation of that. Yeah, could be. Um, I don't, like I said, we'd not know what reality is in this show and almost we have to maybe pick one that we think might be real and stick with that. And I suppose, like, all these John Ham parables we keep getting are about mm-hmm. this, you know the, because um, the first one, in this particular episode, it was about creating your own, how people create your own reality, and there was that word that they used. I can't remember what the word was, but, um, but yeah, it was it was all about that. Yeah, the story of the bloodhound and the tick. Yeah, I mean we're getting so many of these weird little little stories. You've got to imagine they're going to be adding up to something at the end. I've got no idea what. Uh, I've not, I've, I've purposefully not googled sort of legion speculation threads, uh, so I can try and make my own mind up. But I'm completely confused, so I might end up having to give in and just Google and see what people are saying. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's interesting those things. I mean, I'm, in the first episode, I couldn't quite see how that connected, although it was delusion, I suppose, uh, and that that kind of delusion creature still kicks about uh, throughout the episodes. So the they do have meaning to them, and like I said, the whole reality aspect of it, it's it does make some level of sense. Mm. Also, we get a reference to the Shi'ar in this episode. Ah. They're, if you don't know who they are, and I'll explain it to the listeners, they are a race of aliens that were involved, heavily involved in the Phoenix um, story. See, that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, Professor X ends up falling in love with um, the Shi'ar Queen or whatever it is called. Her name's Lilandra. Uh, and yeah, there's the X-Men are in space for a long time. Well, not a long time, but they're in space for long enough. Uh, helping to deal with the Phoenix problem. So that was an interesting reference because it was about Shi'ar technology. It's not Shi'ar technology is what, what was said. So that mm. was weird. You also have a bit of a role reversal that's that starts in this episode where you've got, uh, you know, um, 
Kerry living the outer life and Carrie living the inner life now. And it's like, so Carrie was used to all the day-to-day stuff and she has no idea because she just comes out when she's needed. Now you've yeah. got the complete reversal of that. I'm loving the Kerry Carrie stuff, actually. It wasn't a character that I warmed to massively in the first season, uh, but they've been doing so much with it and weird twists on it. And yeah. there's something not grotesque or horrifying about it, but the whole way that they transition and everyone and the fact that the transitions have been a bit messed up this time as well. Yeah. It's a little bit so like, very confusing, very, you know, can you imagine living with someone else inside you? It's a bit weird, you know? I, I, I've, I've loved the sort of way they've done it in the little sort of role reversal. Yeah, or imagine accepting the fact that you've got someone living inside you and then mm. having that role change. What would that yeah, do? Yeah, but you're you? trapped inside the other, yeah. 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 It's, it's fascinating stuff, and they do more of it in the next episode, but it starts here, and, and it's interesting to just see how terrified they are. They both are of what's going on. And again, you have no idea if it's real, because who knows whether David's brain is just messing with everyone again. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. But I'm interested, and it is still the weirdest show on television that I'm watching. <laughs> and still kind of fun to, to play with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... At the end of this episode, or somewhere towards the end of it, David and Shadow King reach an agreement. If David finds him the monk, then he'll stop killing people, which seems simple enough. And that's them possibly in an alliance of sorts. I mean, you're still shouting at your telly, going, don't trust him, you idiot. What are you doing? (laughs) You know, just because he speaks like Poirot doesn't make him trustworthy. (laughs) It's like, just, you know, sort yourself out, man. Yeah, although it's possible that he can be trusted as well because um, you get this kind of idea. I mean, it's something of, something that's more in the next episode than this one, but the idea that the, the Shadow King doesn't see himself as a villain because all good villains shouldn't see themselves as bad guys. He just sees himself as something that needs to survive. So he's a parasite. I do, get, I do get that. I mean, he does sort of explain, like you say, it is kind of more in a future episode than in this particular episode, but... He does explain that if you had the option to die or survive, what would you choose? And it's yeah. most commonly it will be to survive, and you do that through any means necessary. Yeah, you can understand that to a degree. And his actions may be a bit extreme, but then again, you don't really know everything that he's been through. And there's the whole thing about his um, his father as well, David's father, you know, Xavier presumably, who is specifically identified as a white man. I can't remember if it's in that episode mm. or the next episode, because I I watched them both less recently than you did I can't remember the exact episode to be yeah. honest because there's a lot of, I think it might have been the second episode Yeah. Oh, so sorry I'm talk- saying the second episode, the third episode if you know. yeah the second episode of the three we're covering Yeah. Today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, there's specific mention of a white man so there's a suggestion of you know um, white male privilege maybe or certainly racial inequality anyway Mm. Confusing, as always. Confusing much. Yeah. I guess that's the problem when you're not paying off on David's father as well because all you get is people talking about him and you have no idea kind of who he is. I mean, we know who Xavier is, but we don't know what Xavier is in this show. Yeah, we don't know exactly, do we? It's it's something that you imagine is going to be revealed at some point. but 
You'd hope so. They might just have to bite the bullet and cast another Xavier, some other bald guy. <laughs> Vin Diesel, maybe he's not too busy. You cast someone with full uh, luscious locks just to throw everyone off the scent. <laughs> I think Vin Diesel. He just turns up and pretends <laughs> as Xavier. Just, just mumbling through. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. But, you know, it'd be funny. <laughs> On Legion? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Make as much sense as anything else. <laughs> Okay, so shall we move on to our second episode? Unless you have anything else about chapter 10? No, second episode away. Cool. So chapter 11, uh, I picked up on the central theme of this episode is about the lack of control and continuing with the idea of creating reality. You know, again, you've got another John Hamm parable where he talks about um, how you can convince people of anything. If you can, you know, if you can convince people that anything is the truth. So you've got the whole idea of... uh, this will make you vomit, and then people vomit, and then telling someone that red is green and that green is red, and then you tell them that red means stop, so when they see green, they see it as red, and then they get hit by a car. (laughs) (laughs) When they see red, they see it as green, and then they get hit by a car. Yeah, when they've been told what red is and what green is differently, then how they react is then different when told the true meaning of red and green. I don't know. It's, yeah... Another very weird story, though. Uh, I liked that the um, the teacher was Oliver. Yes, I thought that was quite neat. I was expecting it to be a different, and I don't know who the child is supposed to be, but we no, obviously know sure. it's Oliver. Yeah. But I don't know whether that actually means anything in the grand scheme of things, other than <laughs> no. Uh, but it's a kind of powerful statement of what we identify as being real because. Everything we know has been there has been constructed by something else. So red is only red because everyone tells us that it's red. But there's nothing that like outwardly defines it as being red. It's a construct. Yes, apart you from know. the fact that you've been told it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a really interesting angle to go. It's very, uh, very deep. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a label that we apply to things, and that's kind of what it's all about. It's like you, all reality is is a collection of labels yeah. that. That you put on stuff that you experience. So who's to say what's what's the right one and what's the wrong yeah. one? Yeah, and well, that's the thing. I mean, it then expands to well, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's evil, what's you know, thing. You know, it's all that. Yeah, that that spins off that. Yeah, and then choosing reality becomes the big kind of, or the the lack of control, as I said, it becomes the big thing about this episode as David goes in to rescue various people. Um, you know, rescues. Uh, Melanie, who's living in our kind of fantasy world and doesn't want to leave it, in <laughs> uh, autonomy. I can never pronounce his name. I think that might be right. Uh, rescues him. Well, he's the first one he rescues. In a very dapper-looking suit as well. Indeed, indeed. And he's kind of like stuck in a single moment because that's what he wants to be, <laughs> where he wants to be because there's no complications. Yeah, I really he, like that idea. He's he quite wants- happy with it. He wants to live to forget, you know. Yeah. He, he wants to be able to just, you know, live. He doesn't want to have to remember everything and have regrets. Yeah. I particularly like the way that David wakes uh, the two of them up in this with, like, the E.T. glowing finger. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> very weird sort of thing for them to decide to do. I was like, okay, I'll go with that. Weird E.T. glowing finger to wake everyone up. Yeah. Um, I personally liked the text adventure game that they were all stuck yeah. in. Yeah. That was quite funny. I never thought I would ever see a text adventure game become a plot point in a superhero film, superhero show. 
you know, where it's like, you're in a room, it's dark. It's like, look around. Yeah, <laughs> climb look the around. ladder. There's a ladder, <laughs> jump off the ladder. Whoops, wrong choice, yeah. uh, you know. And then they get chased by a minotaur that's on a dog wheelchair. <laughs> in a way that only Legion possibly could. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the Minotaur itself is like a metaphor for every pleasure, every you know, everything you like having a dark side. Kind of too much of a good thing, really. You know, you may like ice cream, but if you eat too much of it, you'll become diabetic and die. You know, well, assuming you don't treat your diabetes. But everything, yeah, everything that you enjoy will have a, a darker edge to it that you're just not seeing. And um, that's what the Minotaur represents, because it is kind of in the background of their fantasy worlds. Well, at least that's yes. how I saw it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll take your angle on that. That sounds uh, it sounds plausible to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the style of the text adventure game. I like the way the sort of text was coming up and spinning around them. And, you know, the fork in the road was, you reach a fork in the road written out as a fork. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was quite neat. <laughs> it was just silly stuff like that. that I thought, was that, do you know what, that's quite a neat style of doing it. The way they shot the, you know, actually throughout these episodes, the camera angles that they choose continue to surprise me it's very different you know i can't remember i don't think it's this episode i think it might have been the episode we were just talking about where they're showing the shot from on looking down on the stairs like straight down Mm -hmm. to the stairs as he's walking into the building it's just like weird angles including sort of this one whether they've got the the camera from the angle of the text looking down at them with the light shining and the dark around them and yeah just neatly shot i thought yeah it's all very stylish Mm. It's all very um, indie film student a <laughs> you know, <the laughs> weird camera angle stuff. Anyway, I also love it when David writes the story as a, respen- a response on the, the the text adventure, and then Tony's like, "Well, that that's great, but like, how does that help us?" <laughs> it, was <just> <laughs> it was just this really poetic story about dreaming and all this stuff, and it's this doesn't help us at all. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why are you wasting our time here? And it's almost—it's almost a commentary on the show just doing stuff without it ever, <laughs> you know, without making any sense. Yeah. There's no reason for this to be here, as you yeah. say so so often. Yeah. yeah. Like why? Why is there a cow? Don't know. Just don't ask. Like, I, I like yeah. the whole argument. Don't leave the cow in my lab. Like, it doesn't matter where the cow is. Like, <laughs> don't just don't ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't ask. Yeah. And this is the episode where we learn a bit more f- about how Farouk sees himself and mm. how he just wants to survive and what he's willing to do to survive. And there's a suggestion that the future is better with with him in it for some reason. Yeah. So what, I wonder if we're getting a kind of weird, mind-trippy version of Days of Future Past. It does seem a little bit like that, isn't it? The future sort of warning them and going, no, actually, embrace the villain because the villain will help you out. You know, I, I don't know. I, it just seems like as soon as the genie's out the bottle that it's all going to go wrong. You know, how's, how do we know the prophecy's going to come true? It just it seems very like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, is what keeps going round in my head, you know? Yeah, but I do like adding this layer of complexity to Farouk because in season one he was very much just, you know, he's a parasite when you get rid of him. And, you know, mm. he, he does weird things like dancing around people's brains and, and all this stuff. And, like, that's fine. It's, it's okay because for season one that's what he is. But for season two, if he's still around, there needs to be more to him than that. You can't just have him be, just be a simple 
parasitic force that, that needs to be dealt with. So I like that they're adding depth and and the more he plays around with people, you, you know, you, you start to get a bit more of a purpose to it. And, and the suggestion is that maybe he is a little bit more than just a parasite. You know, there is something there that that can be seasoned, I suppose. Mm, potentially, yeah. So there, there is an entity to be reasoned with. It's not just uh, an evil creature, but I don't know. I'm I'm still shouting, no, don't do it at the television each time. <laughs> yeah, and it is possible that a compromise can be reached. You know, maybe they'll get maybe they'll get his body and break his legs or something like that. You know, <laughs> let him live. You got live your body back, but we've taken your legs. Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, who knows? Uh, and this episode continues that role reversal with Carrie and Kerry, where she learns how to eat and doesn't like it, and also how to go to the bathroom. And equally does not like that. Which she doesn't like as well. Yeah. Um, we get to see more of the creepy sushi uh, restaurant, you know, Works yeah. Canteen, which is great. <laughs> it's just. And, and the delusion creature still kicking about as well. Yeah, it crawls into Tonomy's head, doesn't it? Yeah. At the beginning of the episode. So is that meant to be what's causing the sort of chattering teeth type thing? Is that what's been brought in? or? I think it's maybe a representation of it. Mm. Because I don't know if it's actually real. I don't think it is. But I, think, I don't um, think so. Because yeah. the chattering teeth is just what happens after the Shadow Kings attacked somewhere and left people alive. That's just how terrified they are. That the teeth are chattering constantly, but the um, so I think the creature itself is kind of a representation of this is what you know. It's as if something crawls inside them and sticks there. So it's like the the like I said, the delusion. So they're kind of stuck within themselves. Well, so you say that it's a it's after the Shadow King attacks, but you know it all stops after the monk dies. Yes, that's true. So it's either that Shadow King goes, right, well, the monk's dead now, so I will lift whatever the hell is going on to these people. Or uh, it was caused by the monk in the first place. Yeah, although... Yeah, and there could be he's obviously got some Because he's obviously got some sort of psychic ability, that monk, because of what he does to the robots. Yeah. With his his, uh, wicker basket mask thing. Yeah, wicker basket CCTV headset. Yeah. It's like a VR headset bucket. I was actually kind of disappointed when they killed him off because it was just one of those things. It was just, oh well, that was something that seemed like a thing, but he's dead now. Was it, was it just to be weird? Was that all that this thing was for? What, the... Uh... <laughs> what, yeah, the monk? Wicker basket stuff. Or wicker basket. Yeah. Well, is he dead? I didn't know. get the impression he was dead. I think he I had sorry, he had been plugged into. Hmm. But I didn't get the impression that he was dead. It was like the monk was somehow interfering with him and the and the free robots. Yeah. Um but I'm not too sure, to be honest. We've not seen him since. No. But no, I just thought he was just interfering with what was going on. Yeah. Rather than killing them. Maybe. Yeah. I'd like I said, I, I saw this episode less recently than you did, and um, although I thought the monk was was killed, but oh, the monk's definitely gone. But Wicker Basket Man, oh right, yes, yeah. I, I got those two confused in my mind. All right, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wicker Wicker Basket Head Guy is, uh, I think, still going. The monk, I think, landed on the tarmac out front, so is definitely gone. <laughs> well, nothing's definite in this. Though, though, yeah, though it is Legion and uh, my TV rule of until. 
I see the decapitated corpse, uh, I always believe that characters can come back. And even then, I'm still not definitely sure. Well, the the funny thing is, there was an episode of iZombie recently where they decapitated a zombie and he was talking, so... Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) That's your theory out the window. Damn it. If you watch iZombie, which, you know, you should, uh, because it's great. It's on my list. (laughs) The ever-growing list. Yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. Uh, We got a bit more of Cat Sid, which was good. I quite like Cat Sid. You know, it's where the cat is just talking to David and then... The, the human body is, have, has just killed a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think Cat Sid is, um, yeah, if that's not a superhero name, then I don't know what is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought that was quite, it's quite good fun. And then she's obviously using the cat to sort of explore the building and be a bit nosy because no one yeah. suspects the cat of anything. Yeah. It's a good plan. You know, if, yeah. if you're a body switching mutant, then that's a, that is a good plan. I wonder what the psychology of um, being stuck in a cat's body is, though. You know, if what, what does that do to your brain? I mean, because <clears throat> human brains and cat brains are not the same size. Uh, true. But so, then Sid is already pretty scrambled on the inside anyway, so... Yeah, so it's like physics is, physics is weird. So, like, body switching, I suppose... You're you're talking about the the metaphysical element here, and you know the cat soul and Sid's soul or whatever are changing places. But uh, I suppose it's best not to think about it too much. It's just one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else about episode eleven? I mean, I can't. I, I thought it was a really good one. Actually, I, I loved the text adventure stuff. It was all really stylish. Um, seeing. Autonomy, want to live inside his own single moment where he doesn't remember anything and lives at peace. I thought that was really interesting, especially considering what that character's done in the past. It seems like, I don't know, it's just him removing the burden of responsibility from himself. And he's always been a very kind of burdened character. So... It- yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think you find out more about the, a lot of the side characters through this episode. I think it moves the plot on quite well. Um, it's my favourite out of the three that we're talking about today, definitely. Oh, interesting. I would say the next one's my favourite of the three. Ah, actually. okay. Yeah. And I think that's our natural segue to move on to it, unless you have anything... <laughs> no, no, let's, let's move along. Chapter 11. Okay, chapter Onwards. 12. Um, so basically, this is Legion's version of a time loop, in a sense. Um, so you get to see Sid's life... Yeah, is that a time loop? Life loop? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's a a mind loop. I think that's what David calls it, isn't it? Yeah. Stuck in this mind loop. Yeah, you get to see Sid's life from birth to, well, I guess Near present, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting. Uh, You get to get a lot about her character. It's like the baby doesn't like, she doesn't like to be touched even from birth. From the moment she was born, she hated to be touched and... um, once again, it's about choosing your own reality and how you remember things. So she remembers her mother as not saying much. So, you know, it's a near silent performance, but she remembers the affection. Mm. You know, the, the holding the pillow over so that they can, so she can hug her without touching her and respecting that boundary that she's established and all that stuff. Um and that's how she chooses to remember her mother. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I think it's it's an interesting insight into Sid, to be honest, because it's a character that we've not 
found that much out about up until now. Definitely not about our life story or growing up or you know the manifestation of our powers. So yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed the insight into that. Yeah, and um, it's all to do with the, f- the future. Said tried to uh, prove a point about how much of a how terrible her life has been. Because her aim is to make David strong, as in a stronger person, but not necessarily a better person. So, I guess because she re- equates strength with survival, and she wants um, she wants David to be more effective in the future mm. or to change his future in some way. So. Yeah, because there might be an apocalypse to prevent or something like that. But, yeah, so she says that suffering makes people stronger, which is kind of true, although it kind of, it doesn't quite acknowledge the the negative side of that. As in, Well, if, if you've got nothing but suffering, it doesn't particularly make you stronger, does it? You need to see the good to also see the bad in it, yeah. don't you? And it's kind of our untrusting nature... Um, her inability to to really forge connections with people because she can't touch them that's another issue that she has and um, you see that kind of throughout her teenage years as depicted I mean that's it's pretty it's actually pretty standard stuff for X-Men types or mutant shows and mm. you know mutant stories so I mean it's essentially what Rogue had to deal with and you've seen that in various things in the cartoon and then um and in the film where she can't touch people because in Rogue's case she'll hurt them and, and um, in Sid's case she will become them. So uh, so there's all that. There's that kind of distance she has from everyone around her um, and then she thinks that's made her tougher, which it has, but it's not made her better, I suppose. Well, that's true. I mean, but... I, I did like getting to see sort of teenage Sid and how that affected her at school, how it affected her relationships and the way she was treated. Like you say, it's very standard uh, teenage mutant affair, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, where you get the fact that they're outcasts at school because they're different or they've got to act different. And, you know, it, it sort of plays on some of that. It's identical. But you get to see these various traumas that have sort of formed her her mindset, and even cemented the fact that I cannot get close to anyone because it will go wrong this way. Yeah. There was some really twisted stuff as well, like when she mm. possessed her mother so that she could experience intimacy with her mother's boyfriend, I think it was. That, yeah, that in particular, I was like... I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very... very thin, but, you know, it's that instant regret of yeah. when the body switch happens back. Yeah. Um, and, and I and presume it, that he's still in prison. <laughs> I would imagine so, yeah. Uh, it also kind of makes sense, though, when you consider that that's the only way she can experience that level of intimacy. Mm. At least at that point, when she was a teenager and was really curious about it, she couldn't find any other way to do it. Although I suppose she could have just body switched with one of the popular girls at school. I mean, I don't know why she never considered that, but it wouldn't have been nearly as dramatic. I think it would have been equally as creepy, to be honest. It would have been equally as creepy, yeah, but it wouldn't have been her, like... You know, yeah. it wouldn't have had that incestuous layer to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... Yeah, it was It was pretty disturbing, but it was deliberately disturbing. It was supposed to be that. And, um... And, it's an, again, it's an example to David that, like... It's, it's about weathering your, your crises and, and all that stuff. 
it was it was just really complicated stuff, and I liked that it, it was a more introspective episode. It was a lot easier to follow than most of them were, I think, because it was that singular focus on on Sid and her journey. And yeah, what, it was a single plot point rather than yeah. sort of six and seven different things going on at once. Yeah, because we see her in the present day, and she is very guarded and and whatever else. Although she does see David as a positive influence in her life, absolutely fine that way, you know, and and she has come out of her shell a bit since season one for that reason uh, and then you've got the future version of her which is kind of this you know this hardened soul over many more years so it seems that the catalyst for her change is losing David in whatever way she loses him again mm-hmm. no no I, I agree it, it does seem like a, a, a sort of a catalyst to that but I'm I I do like just finding out more about the character. I, I get I get what you're saying about it being a more emotional based episode rather than a plot a plot driven one. Um, but like I say, it, it it filled in a lot of blanks for me, and that's why I, I liked it. Yeah, and it's more about the once again the choosing reality angle. Sid has chosen to believe a set of things. Uh, she's chosen to believe things about life that strength is more important than innate goodness for instance that's that's what she's chosen to believe and i really like to quote about um her quote about love being like a hot bath and uh you know the if you leave it if you leave something in the bath for too long it gets soft and falls apart it's that kind of metaphor for yeah it's it seems good but like it weakens you so she sees her feelings for david or the future version of her sees her feelings for david as a weakness that has to be overcome well, you you know, I, I, I'm kind of rooting for them. I mean, it kind of seems at this point that they're now back on the same wavelength again, which By is the good. Because the they are, yeah. Because yeah, I would say up until up until this point, you're sort of not too sure what sort of footing the pair of them are on anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and they are in different. They're in different paths to ascend, but yeah, the yeah, so David takes it upon himself to show her that goodness isn't something to be overcome, it's something to be embraced, um, and it may, you know, and, and strength is important, but there's also other things that are important. It's a lesson that Sid, if not learns and at least considers by the end of the episode. I don't think the, the argument's over yet, I don't think they're on this completely on the same page yet, but at least Sid is willing to give what David's saying a try. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems that way. And yeah, you know that arguments are you know, are never over, especially on programmes like this. Um, but I think, it, I think it leaves them in an interesting position. Um, I mean, we know the episode definitely leaves <laughs> everyone in an interesting position as, you know, uh, at that final scene, uh, which suddenly makes you go, oh... Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you've got... Um, Lenny getting dragged out of yeah, somewhere. Le- yeah, Lenny in the flesh, I presume, yeah. unless we're now watching a hallucination. But, you know, Lenny in it the flesh. Yeah, it yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I I was not expecting that. Yeah, this is Maybe she's got her deal. She's finally got out. Could be. Could be. But what's yeah. the bargaining chip? What what bargaining chip she used for that? Yeah, but surely her consciousness is still stuck inside wherever the Shadow King is. You'd think there's still influence there somewhere. There's no yeah. way that she's been let out with no conditions. No. Well, I suppose it could be a condition of the alliance between David and Farouk. Mm. 
because um, you think he could have just asked about that in the first place. It's like, oh yeah, well, if you want me to help you, then let Lenny out. Who knows? Uh, it's weird that he doesn't ask about that. And the, during their first conversation. That's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a bit of a whistle stop tour. Uh, do you have anything else to say about episode twelve? I've kind of burned through all my notes here. Uh, no, not, not much. It's a, it's a simple episode. It yeah. doesn't push too much forwards, but it fills in a lot of gaps, which is always nice. Uh, I would say overall, I am disappointed at the lack of dance numbers. I know that if uh, Aaron was here, he would also uh, uh, replicate our comments about the lack of dance numbers. Yes, I hope that Aaron is spinning in his grave. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, um, you know they've, they've closed this episode with quite a development, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the next one. Yes, so that's me for episode twelve. I don't have anything else to say. You've summed it up quite nicely. Yeah, uh, it was a good episode. I really like the kind of character-driven focus on it. I liked that I could follow it. That was good. Uh, it's it's it feels like it shouldn't be something that you're praising a show for, but I could follow this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make me feel like an idiot while watching it. That was, you know, that's a plus. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't too much um, hidden from us during these ones. You know, it wasn't as random as some of the others. Yeah, not as random. It's still random. No. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> still had a share of randomness. Uh, yeah, so we will be back in three weeks, give or take, for episodes. Five, six, and seven, I believe. And I don't know. We might be able to get Aaron out of the text adventure game that he's stuck in. <laughs> we will try. I just, I just keep telling him to, you know, type in "open door," but he doesn't. He, he seems content to look around the room and then find nothing. <laughs> look left, nothing. Look right, there's nothing. Look up, nothing. <laughs> uh, he's, he's still doing that. He's looking in every conceivable direction. <laughs> cool. So, thank you for joining for more Legion. I think that's the quickest podcast we've all ever had, almost. <laughs> almost, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll sort of whistle stop tour. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thanks very much for having me on. That was our discussion of the Legion episodes, chapter ten, chapter eleven, and chapter twelve. Thanks to YouTube with three thirty one E Rock for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app, and join us on the next Nail Before Pod. Mm-hmm.